Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, uh, that was interesting uh, because I hit the record button. <laughs> And didn't even know it. So um, if you're watching this on YouTube and uh, I looked a bit confused there, that that's why. Uh, so anyway, well, I, I think we have a really good episode today. Um, you know, as I've been thinking about some of the conversations I've had with people in my own church, and I'm sure you have uh, have had and probably even even recently have conversations with people in your church. Uh, oftentimes, the discussions always come to... Um, kind of this need to reevaluate how we look at the world based on what's going on in in our context. And so, yeah. you know, the question of how do we deal with the fact that uh, our society is, you know, clearly uh, becoming less moral, uh, more degenerate. It's, you know, the dark is certainly uh, progressing, uh, humanly speaking. And so we have these conversations with people, right, about how how should we be perceiving that? Do we let it discourage us? Um, you know, are are we just going to be lost down here with no hope? Uh, and and so really, that's kind of the kind of what I want to talk about on this podcast. And uh, since I'm preaching through Ephesians, I instantly think of uh, the the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I I just preached on this this past Sunday. Um. It it might have been one of the worst sermons I've preached in a while. Uh, humanly speaking, uh, the content was was the only uh, saving grace. You, you know, we have those Sundays, right, where where we just didn't communicate quite as effectively as we every every pastor can relate to. to that. And you know, there are, there are days where we feel like it didn't come off well, and then we see that people were saved by it, they were transformed, they were moved powerfully, and then we have a sermon where we think that the Spirit is moving within us. And then we talk to someone and they completely miss the point of the, uh, the entire message. So th- those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a good humbling experience. And, uh, but it, you know, the saving grace was the content of that particular, uh, passage because it's really all about the gospel and what it's accomplished, um, and the hope that it gives us. And so I, I think for guys who are looking around and, and this is, we see this, right? There's, there's entire, um, you know, there's gatherings, there's prayer meetings, there's movements, there's all kinds of things happening in the body of Christ right now that are really coming together and trying to address the question um, of what do we do because things look dark and things look bad um, in the Western context, right? I, I think we just have to realize that brothers and sisters across the pond, so to speak, have been living in, uh, in have been living lives that are so much more difficult, but for us, this is very unusual, and it and it's it's darker than what we've seen in our lifetimes. So, you know, does the Word of God have any hope for us? What do we look to? Uh, do we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and give up and say, "Lord, come back"? Uh, we'll just suffer until you get here. Is there any joy um, to be had when we think about? You know the the politics just increasingly becoming corrupt. Uh, the government's finding every workaround they can to increase 
you know, uh, access to mothers being able to murder their children via pills in the mail or whatever. No. The LGBTQ, um, you know, uh, perversion is running rampant uh, and it's increasing in um, just uh, their aggressiveness towards Christianity. What's the believer to think? Do, do we do we think about civil war and picking up arms against the government? Uh, or do we sit in our living room crying hopelessness or is there an answer for this? Yeah, and the Bible is not silent on this. And we've gone to Romans chapter one many times to show how what we're seeing around us is God's judgment for people that have rejected him. And that's exactly what's happening all around us. We're seeing the result of people who have rejected God. Now, should that discourage us? Well, certainly we would rather see people come to repentance. We'd rather see people put their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd rather see good churches growing and people growing and, and the gospel being proclaimed in, in greater numbers. We'd like to see all those things. And at the same time, we have to remind ourselves that God is firmly in control, right? He is completely sovereign over all that happens. And, and the Bible is not silent about those long periods where there seems to be um, a lack of spiritual growth. And in fact, uh, the, the the people and, and the nation is spiraling in the wrong direction. I mean, I think about the prophet uh, Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he ministered for close to 50 years, never saw a single person repent. Uh, and he had to mm -hmm. watch the temple burn down through through just eyes that that continued to just cry in tears and him on the on the brink of absolute depression before reminding himself of, of the faithfulness of God. So the obvious answer is that we always have hope. The, the question is, yeah. how do we how do we respond? So if we know we always have hope, how, how do we go about showing that hope? Um, what is to be our response to a world that continues to reject him? Um, are there ways that we can affect um, the temporal world? I mean, we are called to be light and salt. Is there a way that we can we can function as light and salt and bring about some temporal change? But to what extent and, and at what point um, do we um, run the risk of losing sight of the eternal focus, which is to help people come to a knowledge of Christ and to have that same hope in eternity? Yeah, I think you made a really good point. And maybe, you know, the starting point for guys who are looking at our, our country and what's going on, because this is where we live, right, would be really to go back to Romans 1 and understand what is actually happening in our country, right? It's a good starting place. Um, and it's and it's a good starting place because it instantly puts your trust in the sovereignty of God. Yeah. That might sound strange, um, but when you go, go to Romans 1, and I think the majority of believers would not disagree that we're seeing God's judgment on our nation, right? Yeah. There may be some that aren't sure about that, but I think, you know, for the majority of people, this is very clear. Um, it, so Romans one, we've read it before, but let me just read a little bit of this, uh, because I think this is a good foundation. You know, we need to first ask the question, well, what is happening before we can ask the question, what do we then do about it? Um, Romans one 18 for the wrath of God is revealed, uh, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. And he's just basically talking about the fact that all men know of, of the reality of God's existence. But then we get down to um, verse 21. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not glorify him 
him as God or give thanks sounds a lot like where we are as a country, right? But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, they're worshiping other things. They have idols of other things. They're dismissing the reality of who God is. And so there's a result of all this. So we can look at that part and we can say, yes, we clearly see that this is where our country is. Well, what's the result of that? Well, verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of the hearts to impurity, the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. I mean, we see that in an undeniable way. He goes on, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Mm -hmm. He's actually talking about sexual passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So we don't need the Bible. We don't even need to have the discussion about whether the Bible uses the word homosexuality in the English. It actually describes the right. acts. Right. This is the LGBTQ movement. This is the, um, the, the story, uh, the, the, the drag queen story hour. Uh, this is, you know, the mutilation of children. Um, You know, this whole thing is what we see. So this is God actively turning a people over to the depravity that they want. So I think we can look at our country and it, it seems strange, but I think for the believer, this should help us kind of recenter ourselves on the reality that what we're seeing is ultimately and directly under the sovereign control of God. Yeah, what are your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, it's the job of the Holy Spirit uh, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we think about from the time that Jesus Christ gave his great commission to the uh, disciples, that's uh, exactly what they did. They preached the gospel. They left it, uh, understanding that it was the power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds. And we saw a great number of converts, but that didn't necessarily turn around the nation of Rome or the Roman Empire, right? And there can be times where People will respond. We have the period of the Great Awakening in the 1700s, where massive numbers of people were repenting and putting their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are long periods of darkness where, for whatever reason, people are not responding. And so what we see in Romans 1, and like you said, this is clear to everyone, this is the response of people that have rejected God. They're turning away from God. Now, to say that that is because um, people aren't doing a good enough job X, Y, and Z I think ignores the sovereignty of God in the fact that sometimes there's a great awakening and sometimes there's not, right? So we we just trust in God's sovereignty in that. And what I say to people all the time is that regardless of the situation that we're in, there is always an opportunity to glorify God, right? There is always an opportunity to glorify God. So yeah. even as the world is continuing to turn away, well, what should our response be? Do we get pragmatic and stop preaching the gospel? Or do we get pragmatic and try to resort to man-centered methods? No, we continue to trust in God. We continue to trust in the power of his Holy Spirit, and we stay faithful to proclaim that truth. We are not, 
you, you know, in a sense, Jesus told us that the world's going to hate you. He told the disciples, if the world hated you, remember it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we do that with all boldness, realizing that the world, and when I say world, I'm referring to the unrepentant uh, people uh, of the of the world, will hate the message of Christ. And ultimately, they will st- seek to persecute, especially as the events of Romans 1 takes place. Because as we've seen with the LGBTQ movement, they are not only giving themselves over, God's not only handing themselves over to degrading passions and desires and sexual immorality, but what we're seeing is that their hatred for God is becoming more and more pronounced. And to the point now where if they have their way, they want all churches that stand against um, homosexuality to be silenced or to be done away with, right? They they would want to have, for instance, uh, take away their their tax shelter status or whatever it may be, right? Uh, that if they have their way, they, they're going to want to vilify those who stand firmly upon the word of God. And that's exactly what we're seeing around us. But the solution is still the same. We proclaim the truth. We trust in God's truth. And we recognize that, you know what, if this nation goes down, and it very well might. Now, is it my hope that the nation has a great awakening, that they repent? Absolutely. That should be all of our hopes, right? But we yeah. recognize that that's in the sovereign hands of God. And the solution is still the same. It's to bring forth the gospel. Now, when it comes to other areas of life, when it comes to politics, of course, we're going to stand against the murder of the unborn. We're going to stand against uh, making marriage anything other than male and female. You know, we're going to stand against the ways that the government tries to um, seek to implement evil in place of good. We're going to speak out against those things, recognizing that they may or may not listen, but the way we glorify God is not those results which are in God's hands. The way we glorify God is standing firm upon the truth and trusting him, even if it doesn't go the way we want it to go. Yeah, you made some really good points there because there are multiple things happening. And I think part of the issue is um, I I think sometimes believers get focused on one part of the Bible without kind of doing a whole biblical theology. And so they forget other things. So, for instance, we we must understand that that you know, what we see is God's judgment on the nation. We understand from scripture that things are going to get darker. And yet we also understand that, that we've been commanded to do certain things. And, and we do those things regardless of what God is ultimately doing behind the scenes, regardless of any fruit. I mean, and you mentioned a couple examples already from scripture, but, you know, Noah was given a command to build the ark, regardless of if anyone responded or not. Right. I mean, he was building that ark over a hundred years, mm-hmm. um, and and no one else repented, right? No yeah. one took notice of what he was doing in a meaningful way. Um, you have Jonah, you know, um, and Nineveh. I, I mean, that's an interesting one. Jonah didn't even want to go to Nineveh. That's maybe a good discussion of who really has free will and who doesn't. But anyway, um, you know, and I think Nineveh as a wicked nation. Um, their only hope was repenting right before God and their repentance was short-lived and God ultimately destroyed them. Um, But Jonah was given a task to do regardless of how the Ninevites responded. And that's really the point. And, and we're the same way and moving to the new Testament, um, you know, Stephen, the first martyr, right. He was doing what he was supposed to do, not being concerned with the results because the results are, are, are from God by God. Um, 
And, and so I think sometimes we forget all of that. We kind of segregate uh, our doctrine from, from the whole biblical uh, worldview that we ought to be having. You go to, um, so we've read Romans 1. We kind of have an understanding of what's going on in the world. Um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse. And sometimes people are confused because you have spurts in history where there's been a revival um, or there's been a reawakening. Um, and by the way, we see those all throughout. I mean, just look at Israel's history, right? Uh, Israel sold in the captivity. Why were they sold in the captivity? Well, because they turned away from being faithful to God. God sold them into captivity. Right. Um, that wasn't just them being overtaken. That was under God's sovereign hand. And what brings them out of it time and time and time again? Well, it, it, it wasn't um, their involvement or it, it was nothing more than turning back to God, right, in, yep. in, in a true and meaningful way. And then God brings them out of captivity. That's how we see God working with, with whole people groups and nations throughout Scripture. And so I would argue that when we find uh, a, a nation like ours— who's been handed over um, to its depravity, really the biblical solution that we see is the church wake up and turn back to God. And so I think we ask questions like, are we actually being faithful to doing the things that Christians are called to do? Well, I, I don't think we have. If you look at the statistics of things like how many believers pray on a regular basis, how many believers read their Bible, uh, on a regular basis, no. less than ten percent, I think it is of um, of professing believers uh, share actually evangelize, no. right? Um, and, and so we've got to go back to being obedient to the commands um, and not try to jump ahead to the perfect ideal, you know, kind of utopian idea that we'd like to have. So I so we rein it back a little bit, but I think our hope. Um, is found rather in our in our obedience rather than in the outcome, because God controls the outcome, and when His people are faithful and obedient, you see God often working in in ways. But Jesus makes it clear that we're going to have difficulties. I mean, yeah. this world is a dark world until the return of Christ. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be pain and sorrow and suffering. So I think you leave Romans one. Um, and, and then I go to the Beatitudes, um, because you have, you see God's judgment and what that looks like in Romans one, no. you get to Matthew chapter five. And now th this is, we, we've talked about this verse before, but if, if, if a believer ever comes to me and they're just starting to be overwhelmed by the darkness and, um, the, the persecution and being pressed down by the world hating Christianity. I mean, this is one of my favorite places to go uh, because, it, you know, and you can go through all the Beatitudes, but if you just go to chapter five and uh, let's see, verse 10, right? He says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's, that, that is just antithetical to a worldview. Blessed are you. You are blessed. Mm -hmm. Who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
you are blessed when these things happen. And then in verse 12 is the strangest thing that you would think Jesus could ever say in the midst of him talking about persecution, right? He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is where? Not here, not now. Your reward is in heaven and it's great. Your reward in heaven is great for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, there's just, just unpack some of that for us because there's a lot going on there that's counterintuitive to our natural way of thinking. Yeah, he, he's obviously referring back to the Old Testament, talking about how all the prophets were persecuted. We know from the Old Testament, from the time of the divided kingdom, every single prophet was killed except for Elijah. And Elijah was brought up in a chariot of fire. So that was well known amongst all the Jews. And why were they persecuted? Why were they put to death? Well, they were put to death because they stood up for the truth of God. They called people to repent. And we see a continuity here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, where you were talking about rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the persecution, and this ties right into John uh, chapter 15, verse 18, if they hated you, remember that they hated me. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. That's in verse 20. So Jesus is preparing them for the continuity of what's going to happen. Now, did we see a great awakening from the day of Pentecost? Absolutely. And yet we also saw each of the apostles, except for John John the apostle himself, each of the apostles were also martyred, right? So they're martyred for their faith. Yeah. And John the apostle was left on an island in Patmos, uh, by himself, right? So th- he he didn't finish out his life in a way that most people in this world would want to finish it out. So we see that that truth being played out amongst the disciples, and and even in First Peter chapter one, I think First Peter chapter one, he really plays on this theme that Jesus Christ says, talking about the rewards in heaven. When in First Peter one, Peter says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ," and then he talks about the inheritance. That is in heaven being protected for for salvation ready to be revealed. And this inheritance, it's undefiled, imperishable, and will not fade away. Right. So, and, and then later in that chapter, Peter says in verse 13, he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And that's talking about his return. So there is always hope in the return of Christ. Now, there are some. That, that believe that a lot of the prophecies of, of destruction, including what we find in Revelation, were fulfilled in AD 70. So are we then saying that the persecution was only up to AD 70, and after that the persecution ends? Well, you can look at church history and know that that's not true, right? So even what do you tell what, what do you tell to believers uh, who, who are being who are being martyred um, for their faith by the Roman Catholic authorities? Right. What do you tell believers today who are in places like yeah. um, Afghanistan after the pullout, after we had established so many churches? What do you tell or believers? North Korea who are, or China. Yeah, North Korea or China. Those who are underground in North Korea or China. What do you tell them? Well, there is always victory. There, there is always victory. And what we see throughout the history, even though Paul spent so much time and effort to build up these churches in modern day Turkey, as well as the as Greece, what we find is that those areas have gone mostly apostate. Right. Um, so it's not a failure on his part, though. It's not a failure on the part of the believers who were there. It's just the fact that the world is going to hate God. Now, we want there to be revival. We want there to be massive repentance. We'd love to see a reversal. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with wanting laws that are good and righteous. 
you know, for instance, you know, we talk about uh, pedophilia and I, I, I would be the first in line to say hallelujah if we start instituting the death penalty for those who are guilty of, of pedophilia. Absolutely. Right? So I, having good and righteous raw laws that, that help to punish those who are evildoers, I'm all in favor of that. But that's not a guarantee that people are going to turn to God. That's not a guarantee that people are going to turn to Christ. And certainly I don't fault those who focus on sharing the gospel so that people would come to uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, we know from the Great Commission, the call is not simply to evangelize, it's to make disciples of all the nations. And that includes teaching them to observe all that Jesus Christ has commanded us. And so indeed, that that's exactly what we've been called to do. And when we look at these great, uh, these beatitudes, yeah, the blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I see a lot of people pointing to verse five, blessed are the, are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. And so there's a big discussion about the Lordship of Christ because the Lordship of Christ, Jesus, when he gave the great commission, he didn't just say that I am, that all authority has been given to me in heaven. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now we hold to that. He, he is Lord of earth, but for the time being, the prince of the power of the air is still Satan until at the proper time, we know from Psalm 110, God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that is looking forward to the second coming. So we know that there is a time where God is exercising patience, but during that time that he's exercising patience, people will continue to reject him. Uh, Romans 1 plays out over and over again throughout history. And by the grace of God, we do see these periods like the Great Awakening, like the time of the Reformation where massive numbers of, of people do repent. And we continue to work towards that. We never give that up. We don't give into what's called statism, where we simply just obey whatever the state says. And we don't give into pietism, where we start to just focus on our own personal holiness and we completely disassociate ourselves from the world. No, we are still connected to the world. We still stand upon truth. We still call out sin, but we help point people to their greatest need. And that is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and the forgiveness of sins that were only made possible by that price that he paid. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I, it, You know, there are probably some people, although I think there may be fewer today, who, you know, kind of take the pietistic view. Uh, again, if you take, you know, if, if you either take the status view, I, I think you got three kind of different categories just briefly here um, where you're obeying everything the state tells you, I think we need to be careful there because we are to be obedient to the state in Absolutely as far not. as they never supersede scripture. Right. 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 So we've got that. And then, it, you know, there definitely have been movements of, um, I mean, kind of monk monkery. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what, what the monks did, right. Yeah. Um, they, they weren't faithful and that's the problem with the, the pietist view. And, um, we shouldn't be labeling people pietists, um, if you're truly a pietist, I don't know that you're actually a Christian, to to be very honest, uh, because you have to ignore so much clear scripture um, that we shouldn't be tossing that around as casually as I think we do. Um, and and then and then the other thing that I think is an error would be to be focusing on the results. Um, the the Christian should be focusing on being obedient to scripture, and so. I, I just still in, in Matthew chapter five, and I love this because it's so very interesting. After Jesus has just said, you're going to be persecuted, like this is a guarantee, 
So to expect anything different is actually to to just ignore Jesus's teaching. And I think we can get caught up in desiring what really we're only going to have after the return of Christ so much that we forget Jesus is actually that's never going that's not going to happen on this side. But after he gets through telling us that, listen to what he says in just the next few verses. He says, you are salt of the earth. If the salt becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. This would be your pietist, right? But on the lampstand, so that it gives light to all who are in the house, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and glorify your father who is in heaven. So the goal is not to control the outcome. The goal is to be such Christians in all of life that it causes people to see our obedience and and recognize something of, of God, whether they stone us for it, put us in jail for it, hate us for it, or they come to know Christ because we're proclaiming the gospel and living as Christians, that's all up to the Holy Spirit. He moves on who he will move on. He hardens whom he will harden. That's not for us to to decide. But just after he's gotten through telling us that you're going to be persecuted, it's not going away, it's going to be difficult. Then he says, however, you're to be salt and light. And so there are things you are to do. So, you know, we you go to the Great Commission, and I think it's important... It, you know, that word for nations is talking about ethnic groups. And so we disciple people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't disciple, you know, the nation of Uganda. Um, it, it's silly to even think that way. Um, I disciple people, right? And so our commission, our duty, I mean, the thing that Christ commanded us to make as our primary focus right, as Christians, is to make disciples, which means you have to be proclaiming the gospel. In other words, calling people to repent, telling them of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And then you have to be willing to walk with them in the Christian life, teaching them all that Christ has commanded. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that has to be the focus. And I think some of the frustration is people skipping that and saying, but I want the, the I, I, I want this perfect fruit over here. What I want to see is this. Well, the problem is we just aren't guaranteed that. Yeah. And we aren't responsible for that. When when we come before the Lord at the end of time, we will be responsible for our faithfulness and our faithfulness alone, nothing else. Yeah, the, you know, war analogies are prevalent throughout scripture, and there's good reason because we're not so much engaged in a physical war as much as a spiritual war. And so Paul will use the aspects of physical war to show the realities of spiritual war, the armor of God being a great example of that. Um, and we have to understand that part of being in a war is that there are multiple battles going on throughout a war. And we already know that the war is going to be won. We have absolute certainty. That's where our hope is. We know the world war is going to be won. We don't know which battles we're being called to fight. And there are going to be battles that just in the context of that battle is a loss. And there are going to be battles that just within the context of that battle is a victory. 
But regardless, the soldiers of God who are called to, to partake in that battle are called to fight regardless. So we, we continue to engage in the spiritual war. We continue to engage in, <clears throat> in all the false ideologies and the false teaching, the twisted gospels, um, the denials of God, uh, the idols that are thrown out there, um, all the ways that the world suppresses the truth, just as Romans 1 had, um, had mentioned. But I think of um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter one, he's in prison. We know that he's writing from prison. And, and he says this in verse 19, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now he's in prison and he mentions deliverance. And most people would look at that and say, oh, well, he right there, he's expressing his confidence that he's going to get out of prison. But that's not what he's talking about. He says, my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. When we think mm -hmm. of the death of the deacon Stephen, he was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin as he is preaching a masterful message out of the Old Testament uh, about the, the the true temple of God and, and how they that the Jews have always hardened their heart against the Holy Spirit. He was stoned to death, but we dare not say that he died as a loser. He died in mm -hmm. glory. He died in absolute victory. Though he was stoned to death, he died glorifying God all the way to death, regardless of what that outcome is. And similarly, as Paul is awaiting his time before Caesar. He's awaiting to, to stand before Caesar, share the gospel with him. He talks about how, I know that your prayers will be answered to the Philippians. And if you want to know what that prayer is, you can just look at Colossians. You can look at Ephesians. What is his prayer request to both of those two bodies of Christ? When he says, pray for me, he says, pray for me that I would open my mouth and boldly proclaim the truth of God. So whether Paul ends up living or dying, he's determined to glorify God all the way to the end by proclaiming him. And that is where our victory is, that we continue to proclaim Christ, and not only through the gospel, but we proclaim Christ to one another as we seek to edify the body, we build one another up, we're there for each other, because as things get worse and worse around us, guess what? The people within the church are going to need other saints within the church more than ever to support them, to build them up, and to, as Paul says in Philippians 1.27, to strive for the faith of the gospel, to strive together to be of one mind and of one spirit. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I, Paul writes a lot of his letters from prison. Yeah, he does. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, which ought to tell us that, and he often talks about joy, which ought to tell us that, again, we shouldn't be concerned with the outcome of our faithfulness. We should be concerned with whether or not we're faithful. Yep. Leave the outcome exactly. to God. And I think, I mean, oftentimes, even in counseling, a lot of issues in counseling, and you certainly know this, is because the person is focused on the wrong thing, yeah. right? We, right? We've made a big deal out of something that shouldn't be the big deal. And, and so we need to kind of come back to reality, see what the scripture says, see where our focus should actually be, and just kind of get things in a right perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, second Timothy again, Paul's in jail and not only yeah. is he in jail, but this is his last time in jail because he's going to be executed shortly after. Um, and in chapter one, he writes to Timothy, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering 
for the gospel yeah, according right. to the power of God. Exactly. I mean, this isn't a call to escape suffering. This is a call to join yeah. with him. And, you know, so Paul's in the Mamertine prison here. He's executed, you know, loses his head after this. Um, and, you know, the Fox's Book of Martyrs records, you know, later on that Timothy was actually bludgeoned basically to death, died by bruising, as, as the account goes. Interestingly enough, by calling pagans in a pagan festival uh, to repent, mm. and they beat him so severely that he dies several days later from bruising, at least that's that's what we read in Fox's Book of Martyrs. So he did, in fact, join in the suffering. He didn't shrink back from that. And and I would, I, I think Timothy had to expect that because it was what Paul thought over and over and over again. So what do we, you know, so what do we do? What, what, how do we point Christians towards hope if, if, if we aren't hoping in what things are going to look like here on earth because we see they're, they're just going to be dark? And yet we know that we're supposed to be faithful, and that's our focus. Where, where does our hope come from? I, I think Paul in Ephesians, you know, you get to the end of chapter six, and we have this war language again, yeah. right? And it's interesting because Paul doesn't use offensive war language. He uses defensive war language. Yes, He says, stand and stand firm, therefore, and gives uh, these pieces of armor that we've been given. And the third one is the choose of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I think this is what really ought to be something that Christians uh, hold on to and grasp. So we, we understand the world is dark. It's going to get dark. We understand that that doesn't mean we're supposed to be passive. We're supposed to be very active. We understand that in our activity of faithfulness, we're going to be persecuted. Um, and, and so then where do we find our hope? And I think, uh, the, this verse, the gospel of, of the peace of the preparation, the, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace is actually referring not to a sharing, sharing the gospel. It's actually referring to, um, our having been made at peace with God, because this is something we're putting on. You can't put on your salvation. Sharing the gospel is something that's offensive. It's not defensive, right? Um, and, and, and so I think what Paul is saying here to the believer is one of the, um, one of the, the weapons of warfare, one of the pieces of armor is for the Christian when things are dark because you're in the midst of this spiritual battle is to remind yourself that, that you have been made right with God. You are a child of God and that has privileges. Um, and, and we see that I think when Paul makes his uh, makes his statements about how nothing can separate him from the love of God, yeah, right? right? Neither height nor depth nor principalities, and he lists all these things. And so I, I think those the this gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace, is holding on to the promises of God, knowing that we belong to God, and therefore our hope is in Christ, and it doesn't promise that we're going to uh, win every battle here on earth. In fact, we know that you know we're going to suffer persecution here, but we have a hope, and that all ties back into what Jesus says in Matthew. We rejoice in those sufferings. We rejoice, and Paul just repeats what Jesus has said kind of all throughout uh, his letters, even here to Timothy. You know, join me in suffering 
which is just uh, echoing Jesus's um, in the Beatitudes. Jesus is called to rejoice when you are persecuted. Yeah, my own one of my professors, uh, Doctor Greg Harris, great professor, um, once explained Ephesians as a call to walk. Right, so we know the central command is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. And he would highlight the various commands to walk, um, walk as children of light, walk in love, uh, walk in wisdom, so on and so forth. You have all these commands to walk, but at some point you're going to have to stand. Um, as you continue to walk as a Christian, you will have to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Now, we're not saying that you are not to share the gospel. Of course, you're to share the gospel. But I do agree with you that in that armor of God, the focus upon this is how we defend ourselves against the attacks of the evil one and to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Back in those days, the Roman soldier, when they put on shoes, they didn't just put on flat-footed sandals. Um, there would be almost like these uh, types of what, what we might equate to cleats, cleats that help you to stand your ground uh, as you're holding your shield and, and people are trying to push you back. You're going to hold your ground with the footing that's on your feet. And so in this case, the footing is the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the, as you mentioned, this is the reminder of the peace that we have with God as a result of the gospel. We stand firm knowing that God has given us peace with him. And so I, I agree with that. This is a defensive maneuver. It's meant to help us to, to be protected against the attacks of Satan, against the attacks of the enemy. And that's something that we need on a daily basis. And especially as things grow dark, especially as people continue to get handed over to their sin, especially as God continues to become more and more mocked and ridiculed and rejected. Our role is to continue to stand firm, no matter how foolish we look to them. That is the victory. That is how we show the Lordship of Christ over us here on earth. Yeah, we can't forget that we're in a spiritual war. Yeah. And, and we can become very easily distracted by what we see, humanly speaking, forgetting that behind the scenes in everything we see, right, there's good and evil. I mean, we look at the book of Job and we, we get a picture that Job didn't get. Job had no idea the conversation that was going on between him and Satan. And there is nothing Job could have done to stop um, what Satan was doing because God was allowing it for a specific purpose. Job, in fact, it was God's uh, God's position to Satan that Job would remain faithful, that he wouldn't actually curse God, which of course he never did, right? There were other issues, but he didn't do that. Um, and so I, I think we have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in what we see, humanly speaking, that we become depressed and we become fearful. And in our fear, we start adopting worldly tactics and pragmatis pragmatistic ways of doing things that really aren't helpful and, and in reality are often counterproductive. Yeah. So we come to this chapter, we talk about the spiritual warfare. And then, so, so then what are we to do, right? Well, you're to just be a Christian everywhere you are. Yeah. Build your life around the local church. These aren't pietistic things. This is commands of scripture. Build your life around the local church. Evangelize those around you and those who you come in contact with. Make disciples. Disciple the people who God's put in your life uh, that you're able to, to disciple. And be a Christian in, in all areas of your life. When you're in the workplace, be a Christian. 
whatever that looks like. And you've just, people have just got to learn how to apply those things. We don't partner with evil, for instance, whatever that looks like, uh, you avoid those things. When we vote, right, we vote as Christians, um, and we've got several options oftentimes, whatever it is we do. Um, but that's what we're called to is, yeah. is to be faithful. That's our commission. And then I, th- and then to answer the question, well, what if things um, don't turn out the way we would like? What if they become difficult? I think one is you made a comment one time about how um, we should just kind of get over ourselves. We're not really that important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we need to say that to American Christianity. Um, get over yourself. You're not that important. And you're in the minority. We have brothers and sisters around the world from the beginning of time who have never had the peace we've enjoyed. This whole conversation would be so foreign to brothers and sisters in North Korea. It would be so foreign to you know vast periods of believers in China, uh, in North Africa, and Northeastern Africa. Um, and I think we forget that sometimes that what their whole life is spiritual war, both in in the seen and unseen, right? And so sometimes I think we forget that. So what do we do then if we're not worried about the outcome? We're just worried about being truly biblical Christians. Well, I I think we go to Romans 8. Uh, We've talked a lot about this, but I love this part. Uh, I think this is part of putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Um, and we'll kind of end with this and, and let you end this after this. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Let's just read this whole thing. Paul says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Who, uh, he who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Just that it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. That was the apostles' view right? They were being put to death. And yet he understood that he couldn't be separated from the love of Christ. And he, and he goes on verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So his understanding of what it means to be conquerors and overcomers had nothing to do with the temporal outcome clearly, because he just got through saying that he's being put to death. And then, and then these last three, these last two verses, believers memorize this portion of scripture, I think we're going to need it in the future. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor rulers, that's a good one for us, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. He's just making the case. There is literally nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is where our hope lies. We strive to be faithful. We leave the results to God and we hope in Christ Jesus in the salvation that's been given to us. And I will finish by reading another passage, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 20. For what credit is there 
If when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Amen. Well, I hope that this episode has been helpful for you. Um, yeah, listen to it, contemplate it, memorize these scriptures. And a Christian, you know, Christians above all, be faithful, leave the results to God, and trust in the hope we have in Christ. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.